you're about to hear a true story of someone who has taken life's lemons and made lemonade. I am Heidi, your host, and thank you for joining me. Well, Corey, welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I'm looking forward to getting to know you and hearing your story. So start out by just telling me just a couple of things about yourself. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Heidi. Um, Funny you mentioned lemonade stand. Um, I was born and raised on the coast in Van- just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, a little place called Surrey, kind of a middle-class uh, neighborhood, I guess you could say. And I had lemonade stands when I was a kid. So I was like, I started off as a salesperson, I would say kind of right from the get-go in a lot of ways in my life. And uh, and it's kind of funny when I think about that in an odd way, because I was kind of trying to sell something right from such an early age. But uh, it's kind of a nice place to be now liberating in a way where I'm I'm not selling uh, myself in that way anymore. I'm actually serving in a lot of other ways now, um, uh, really just due to a lot of the stuff that's kind of happened in my life and just realizing that I was being a little inauthentic at times, if you want to know the truth. But even before I even knew what the word in or authentic even meant, um, in, in not intentionally, but, you know, even as a kid, uh, just things that you just realize that you maybe weren't exactly aligned at that time. So, and I, I had a lot of lessons to learn before I figured this stuff out at that. Uh, now I'm at the age of going on 52 in April. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit, uh, a few more lessons to learn to be able to figure that stuff out. And I've fallen uh, way too many times for the average human being. And so a lot of lessons that I learned in my former career and uh, my former life all the way around. And, and really now for myself, my, my drive, my motivation is this, the, the, those lemons that I had from my past, I, I'm definitely making lemonade and passing it around to some people that are willing to, to learn about what it's like to, to be able to, I guess you could say, taste that lemonade. So to speak so yeah nice okay well then you got to tell me more about this and take me back tell me your lemon to lemonade story then yeah so um as i said uh, well actually i kind of have a little bit of an original past i was raised in um by my grandparents so being born back in 1970 there was uh that was pretty common back then not so much in this era but i would say that uh, back then it was pretty common and for myself i i just i guess you could say i just I really didn't have a lot of emotional connection as a young kid. Uh, really just, unfortunately, it's not, it's nothing bad on anybody else. Really. It really breaks down to your parents really only know what they know. Uh, they pass you along the tools that they have. And sometimes if they don't have certain tools, they pass that along too. And it can be detrimental. And it's a cycle that I really struggled with trying to break for the majority of my life, actually. And I stopped playing the blame game on that a while ago and started to really started using the thumb instead of pointing the finger at other things in my my life or other you know people that were in my life so to speak so um but i wanted to just you know like i said go back and let you know that when it comes down to my family they were beyond supportive of everything that i did um they really did everything that they could in their power to be the best parents that they could possibly be and i'm beyond grateful for them i say this all this with no disrespect as far as the emotional disconnection side of it it's just really simple that my my grandfather who i really looked up to a lot he was he was military he was uh, Canadian Navy, World War II, programmed to be a bit of a robot. And he had his own um, his own family back in the Depression era. Um, you know, they had their own mental health struggles for reasons that obviously, even in our era in the 2000s, we can't even comprehend some of the things that those folks went through back then. So, but even those things that are embedded that deeply back can really 
passed down as a domino effect on your entire family. So that's kind of like what I mean in a sense by lemons to lemonades. It's not that that lemon to lemonades is not so much that, that they were bitter lemons. It's more so just there was bad apples of good intent in my family. There was bad apples of good intent around me at times in my environment. And even myself, I was a bad apple of good intent at times. So um, just learning experiences that you go through. And I had a, a very supportive family in a very unorthodox industry, uh, being a former male exotic dancer. Um, even though uh, a lot of people would go, ooh, male exotic dancer. But like for really, for example, my, my father and my grandmother who raised me, they, they were actually both fairly supportive of my career and, and really um, kind of, I guess, supported me to the best of their ability. They kind of figured, let him do what he needs to do as long as he doesn't get messed up on drugs or he doesn't end up in a position where he's losing, you know, his grades start to slip or whatever, then, then let him do his life. And, and I, I really stood by that and they, they had their end of the deal and I stood by my end of the deal and it worked out pretty good in the end. So would you say, I mean, it was, what was the path from kind of having your own little lemonade stand when mm -hmm. you were a little kid to turning into a male dancer? Like, yeah, was there something that brought you to that point? Like, what, how'd that yeah. work? How'd that there's happen? a, yeah, there's a little to unwrap there. Um, <laughs> oh, a lot. When I look back at it all, um, I, at five years old, I can remember being in my, my folks place and, you know, they were like I said, typical middle-class household. Uh, they had the occasional people over for company and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't an all the time thing, but when, when new people were around, I guess, I was that kid that they'd be sitting in the kitchen playing cribbage or something. And I was the kid that would be in his bedroom and the, the bathroom was just across the hall. And then there was a gap where you could see somebody walk by from the kitchen. And so I would just stand there in my, in my bedroom and strip down all my clothes and run from the bedroom to the bathroom and back and forth just to get a rise out of my, my, my family and my, my, the company that was over. And they'd all laugh at this little kid. And it, it was pretty funny, but at the same time, it was a little bit of a sign that, that I really was really hungry for emotional connection. Like I, I, Although I didn't hear a lot of love yous and sweeties and honeys and all that stuff in my house, I, I did have like there was love there. Don't get me wrong. But it was at the same time, it was kind of I just was really looking for that reaction. And, and that actually truly um, was part of the reason why I went into the industry that I did for so many years. I mean, who goes into that type of an industry for 25 years of their life and comes out the other end actually without any major damage? Um, so yeah, it really started off really with having a really good moral and integral background. Um, I, my father especially really pounded a lot of that into me and, and really gave me a lot of, I guess you could say, support where if I was in a, in a position where I was going through a struggle, uh, I think everybody goes through their ups and downs in life. And sometimes those downs can be pretty heavy. And I was in a couple of those at a couple of times. And his voice rang true even from halfway across the the continent uh, if it wasn't for his voice being there i might not be here right now so from from that time when i was that little kid doing that in in my parents house um it, it really went from there to to actually diving into the industry in a very strange way at a very early age in fact um I was only 17 when I started actually in the actual exotic dance industry. So, um, and the drinking age here in Canada is 19. So for myself, I, I just, um, I kind of knew a few people after being bullied in high school a little bit and they were a little older than I was. And, and this one guy, he said to me, he worked as a doorman, a bouncer at this one nightclub that way back in 1987. 
And it was one of the biggest ladies night in, nights in British Columbia at the time. It was really the heyday of a foregone industry that's really not really existing anymore. It's so politically incorrect in so many ways. So, um, but but at the same time, um, I'm really fortunate that I was, I, I have no regrets going into it. And when I did, um, he invited me down to this nightclub to just, to, I'd never even been in a nightclub before. And he said, oh, come down and, you know, come out, hang out and have a good time with us. And I, so I showed up really early. There was nobody in the club. And just happened to get introduced to the manager and all of a sudden he was he said oh you know you're a student and I said yeah and he said well you're looking for some extra income and I said of course who isn't and he said okay take your shirt off and nobody was in the club so I took my shirt off and he just turned around and he said well you're hired and I said I'm hired for what and he said well you're now a topless waiter on ladies night and you serve drinks to the ladies for two and a half hours and you make 15 percent off of the bar that you everything that you sell and you keep all your tips and you do a little choreographed dance routine at the end of the show after all the dancers are finished their thing and you hand out a bottle of champagne to the loudest uh, table in the house and, and then you're finished your night and you just do whatever you want to from there so I was usually off by about 10 30 11 o'clock and I'd, I'd collect all my money. Sometimes I'd stick around, but I didn't want to have to only have two hours of sleep to go to school the next morning. So usually I just pocket my money and go home and go to sleep and wake up the next day and go to high school. Like, so that was just kind of the way I rolled for a couple of years. And right till I almost, right, almost to the point I, when I graduated, in fact, I still worked there. And um, I was even working as a, as a bouncer, as a doorman for a little while on Friday and Saturday nights when I was 18 years old and IDing people to get into the club when I wasn't even of age to be in the club. So I lived a really crazy life right from that start and starting point. And it really just branched off from there. So those lemons turned into lemonade just in a different way than a lot of people's lemonade gets made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you work your way up in that industry? That's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, well, I'll, I'll be honest, Heidi, there's so many people that have said to me, uh, you know, I could never imagine doing something like that, but I'd sure like to know what it was like. And I've heard that from males and females from many, many, many moons now. That's why I wrote the book. Uh, I had a lot to do with it. But then I, when I found that I, when I got to the point of writing all the stories, it, it just wasn't enough. So I, I had to make more of an impact than just having a bunch of stories from my past. But, you know, I guess it does expand though, really from there in a big way where, where like, I was very fortunate to, it really comes down to no matter what industry you're in, I, I believe, whether you're looking to be a professional garbage truck driver or a male exotic dancer, you know, if you're surrounding yourself with the right people, you, uh, you're that clay that's molded from the top five people you associate with. And even in that industry, it's the same way. And um, so for myself, I was really blessed to, to um, have a couple of um, the top entertainers in all of Canada at that time support me. And they said, you know what, you can do what we do. And I was like, oh, no, I couldn't imagine doing what you guys do. That's like, that's on another level. Because they take it all off up here. Like, it's completely nude, right? So um, a little different than in the U.S., um, but I couldn't imagine myself doing it. I just was just like, I just to, I think that sometimes our great, our greatness is really hidden behind our biggest fears. And that was one of my biggest fears. And, you know, I got to say, without tooting my horn too much here, I ended up being one of the best in the industry for a long time here in Canada. And then I ended up in the U S and spent so many years of my life doing this and sustained such a long career and lived quite a free bird lifestyle in comparison to so many people that I knew and gathered a lot of great memories and made a lot of amazing relationships. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of what life's all about. So yeah, it's crazy life. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I did not yeah. expect this. <laughs> what job are you, when did you stop doing this and what else did you do? Tell me more. I, I call it older, but not old. <laughs> yes, um, that's know, right. I, I, and I don't call a retirement date any date. Um, and I'll, I'll even say this, I don't look at my birthday, I always look at my death day. 
because quite frankly, there's far too many people walking around this planet that are already dead, that haven't actually expanded their life or have, aren't living the quality of life that they actually truly want to. So for me, I don't want to, I want to drain my gas tank right out. And so, yes, I'm not in that industry anymore. I retired at 43 years old. Um, so 25 years from 17 till 43, 25, 26 years. Um, but you know, I never found any really, I didn't find a whole lot of love in the bar, so to speak. And I had a really big problem with a lot of relationships, having a lot of power struggles with relationships. Um, egotism came into play at times, wanting to use my finger and pointing blame at everybody else instead of using my thumb. There was a lot of times where I looked up at a beautiful girl that I admired from a young age, standing on her pedestal and expected her to still be that for her life. And um, having very high expectations that were out of, that were not even really feasible for her to even be able to to even make it to that expectation and then on the other side I've stood on my pedestal and looked down at my ex-wife and done the exact same thing and put her in a position where she had no way that she could ever get to my expectations so I'm just saying there's a lot of learning experiences there from not really truly working on my inner self and determining where I had my own faults and being okay with it I think that we as a dancer and, and I was in a very much comparison game a lot of perfectionism um keeping up with the joneses always trying the, you know the more perfect you were the more money you made so realistically when you're focused on that for that many years that's a hard habit habit to break right and sometimes you start bringing that home unknowingly and i actually did that so um i think that you know even over and above writing my book and writing a lot of stories that were maybe, you know, some stuff that my, my would never have wanted my parents to read, or there was some, there's some stuff in there that really exposed me, pardon the pun in a big way. Um, and, uh, but what I'm not talking, I'm not really so talking about taking my clothes off. I'm more talking about exposing myself as far as the real raw truth, um, as far as what I did to some people in this life, even for my ex-wife, I, I, it's a hard thing for a guy to admit that you've controlled someone. And I controlled someone. And although she wanted that control and we were in a very heavy codependent relationship um, on both sides, um, that wasn't healthy. And it, it made me really see that, that there was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a bomb waiting to explode eventually. You can only go along with that so much and, and not really be connected with your partner. You're just communicating with your partner. And there's just a lot of things when I look back truthfully at my life and I, I realized I, I've really connected the dots um, to do with where I strayed from my values and more importantly, where I strayed, well, not just, I didn't really have an awareness of the feelings that my values even represented. And that was even more important. So now being an authenticity coach, I actually am very, very aware of my values. I'm aware of the feelings and more importantly, even the actual, the opposite feeling. So for example, um, if, for example, I'm relationships are one of my core values. So, um, and the feeling that I get from relationships is connection. So if I'm feeling disconnected in my life somehow, like, cause we all don't wake up every day feeling like a million bucks. If I'm feeling disconnected, that that's the gut feeling that I'm getting or the hair was standing up on the back of my neck type of trigger feeling. Um, I usually can connect that dot to a relationship in my life that's not going well, whether it's family member, whether it's professional, whether it's just one of my friends, I can usually connect it to that. And I'd say 99% of the time it comes back to that. So it's a really good way of being aware 
And so that's how I've grown as a person on the inner side and made that lemon into lemonade as well, because by doing that, it's given me a higher state of consciousness in my actual personal and professional relationships where I'm not looking up or down from that pedestal. And we're looking in the eye now and we're actually having an honest conversation. That's not me selling one thing today and selling something different tomorrow. You get Corey. Now you actually get me every single day, as boring as that sounds. And really, it's a good thing to be that way, I think, because really, again, it's just becoming in my eyes anyways, for myself, it's the path to being the greatest version of me. So that's kind of a roundabout way. And that just kind of skipped right through my entire career and went to kind of the end. But but all they did was, is they molded me into the person that I am now. And I'm just taking those learning experiences. And I'm going back and I'm talking to that 30 year old guy that made all those mistakes. The guy that was suffering with lack, he was suffering with unworthiness, um, even to the point of like, uh, like just complete and total, like not like the opposite of confidence. Like, I guess you could say like, uh, and when I realized that, that my, I was unworthy and I was like in that, that realm, I realized that I was struggling with one of my core values of integrity and so that, that, again, that dot connects, right? So it's just one of those things that it comes right back to awareness. And it's not, I'm not sitting here preaching that I have the whole thing solved and every day is perfect. That's not what I'm here to say. All I'm kind of saying is, is that there's an element of progression in this practice. And by just being aware and, and trying your best to align those things as much as possible, that's where I feel like I really, when I look in the mirror, I love the person I look at in the mirror now. I didn't really love the person I looked at in the mirror, even, even if he looked more physically in shape before it's not, he was selling something that he wasn't. So it's sort of, if I can give somebody back that it really is gratifying for me because I was, I was a guy that was kind of standing on the ledge at one point in my life. Like I, I lost everything at 38 years old. And I, I, I mean, I lost everything. Like I lost my relationship. I lost my house, my car, my dog, my cat. I, I was a country song you know, and had to start over all over again. And I'm not here to cry a river. Like it's the best thing that could have happened to me in a lot of ways, because I truly believe when you're stripped down completely naked and you don't have anything left and you can still kind of go, you know what, I'm okay with the person that I am and I can build this. It, it just does something to you. And so that's where now everything in my life since that day really has been a progression. It's not a thing about perfection anymore. And, and that's, yeah, it's just a, it's a different place to be. So, you know, again, I, I, I hate to swing back to my dance career, but I do have to kind of mention and, and credit that, you know, I don't regret if some people might be in your audience might be thinking, oh, this guy must have so many regrets and he must have been so screwed up in so many ways because of his career. I beg to differ. I was not that person. In fact, yes, I did see some crazy things, but like I say, I, I had some of the best mentors in the industry, people that actually really truly cared and wanted me to, to be the best. And they taught me how to not be that stereotypical dancer. They want, they, you know, and it was more like when you came off stage, like how you dressed, how you presented yourself to people, how you respected people, um, treat people like you want to be treated. Right. So I had a lot of, I, even at an early age, like even in my early twenties, I, I had that really drilled right into me and, I don't know. I just, I, I like to believe that that had a lot to do with being able to sustain it as long as I did, but you know, every, every dog has his day. And I guess, you know, in the end of the day, especially when it comes to this career, there's only so long you can really do it. I didn't want to be 85 years old out there doing it anymore. So, you know, had to move on to something bigger and better. And I really believe that I am in that place now. It's, it's a different kind of creativity. It's a different type of entertainment, but um, a lot more gratifying, to be honest, a lot right. more gratifying. Right. So, 
And that's so great that you said that because I was just going to ask you, like, do you have any regrets? Because I think it's interesting to hear your story and your career path, but your experiences mm -hmm. would be the same no matter what career you were in. You were still yep. you. You still had to deal with your demons and you still sure. had to learn the lessons you needed to learn. Absolutely. The relatable struggles that any, any guy or any woman can relate to. It's not like I had some, it was some, something right out there in left field. It really wasn't. And it's just that, that all I'm saying is, is that that's why I really tried with this book to not only just write the stories, but then after the entire book was written and what I wanted to do was, is inject something into it that, that, that I could really drill down and let people reflect on the book and then reflect on themselves. And what I mean by that is, is there's a lot of regurgitated information in the self-help industry or the public speaking industry where people say the same thing. Like, it's just, the, it is what it is. We've heard it all, you know? And so I found that, that, that my authenticity way, the way that I, I entered into it through authenticity was, it wasn't, wasn't unique. Like a lot of people have done this, but the, the uniqueness was a, I was in this crazy industry where it's entertaining to listen to the stories, but B, what I wanted to do was is highlight literally the, the core value, for example, in each chapter. I had a fear of heights that was, that was through my almost my entire adult life. But the only way that I could break that fear of heights was actually to get to the root cause of it. So when I determined that when I was five years old and I didn't even really know the meaning of authenticity, I realized that I was actually being inauthentic even at that age because I was struggling with that truth perspective thing so much. And so when I, I had this traumatizing experience where my aunt and my uncle actually took me to the fair and they put me on a Ferris wheel. And of course the kid gets stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel and the thing's swinging back and forth and it's creaking and I'm freaking out and I'm bawling my eyes out and I'm just absolutely losing it. And I was little T trauma, you know, one of those things that, you know, even a therapist would look at and go, that's not that big of a deal, but it obviously affected you and you remember it clearly. And so <laughs> my clear vision of what that was, was completely skewed. It wasn't my clear vision. It was just my perspective because years later I said to my aunt and Carol, like, how could you put me on this Ferris wheel at such a young age? And she turned around and she said, Corey, you were not at the fair. You were at the mall. I plugged a quarter into that thing. It was maybe seven feet high. You were just sitting there at the top of it, bawling your eyes out because you were like thinking you were somewhere that you weren't, but you were, you were, you were perfectly safe. There was nothing wrong. You're just freaking out of the little kid. And so I just laughed at it. I thought that was just the funniest thing to actually see that in adulthood. And then I had this weird, I guess you could say like, I don't know how to epiphany, so to speak, where I thought about it. And I really thought deeply about this. And I thought, Here's something that maybe your audience can relate to. If you guys have actually ever gone to your elementary school as an adult, have you ever, have you ever done that, Heidi? Have you ever yes. gone to your elementary school? And so everything's you, so little. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, your, so your desks little? are little. Yes. The, the ceilings are low. Yes. Even the hallways are tighter, right? Like yes. you're just looking at it and going, wow. Like right even down to the like, little heaters and stuff. Like yes. it's all smaller, right? Yes. So that was, I, I kind of thought about it afterwards. I was like, yeah. When you're an adult, you're looking at everything as smaller. But when you're a kid, you blow everything out of perspective. And it's yeah. bigger. So I was like, yeah, that Ferris wheel, I was blowing out of perspective and making it so much bigger than it actually was from my little eyes back then, right? Yeah. So that's just an example of like one of my struggles. And, and it's just, it's nothing, like I said, it's nothing crazy, but these are relatable things that, that I think that people can look back on. And, and when I'm, you know, going through my course and I'm, I'm doing one-on-one -on -one training with people, I actually have them, like I have my worksheet built and, and I actually go through the worksheet, I facilitate it with them. And then at the end, I just say, 
you know, Heidi, what I want you to do now is, is, is your homework is to answer these questions. And then I want you to read chapter one of my book and reflect on your own life and find a core value that you had a struggle with. And what was the struggle? What was the, you know, what was that struggle and how did that make you feel? And was that something that caused you to have a, maybe some sort of reaction that went into your adulthood? Because when you actually can be truly clear on that and you're aware of it, then it shifts that gear in your head. And so it's all about the anticipation. I, I firmly believe that when it comes to almost any fear that we have, I just, but that's my way. Like, I, I know that, like I said, a lot of people in the, this arena will talk about how to break your fears. For me, it's just aligning with, with your true authentic self. Like that's what it really kind of, it all comes back to that. And I can only talk from my perspective, what's worked for me. I'm not here to downgrade or, or say that what I do is better than anyone else or anything like that. I'm just speaking to a certain demographic out there. And I know, I know for sure that the impact that I can have can, can leave a legacy that's just far beyond being mediocre because in my life, I never wanted to be mediocre. Um, I always wanted to strive to make a bit of an impact and be something more. And I really feel like that's what I'm doing with this more so than anything I ever did on the stage. Cause I do know people that have seen me dance and they, you know, they've seen me do shows and they're like, Oh, that was a good show. Or I saw you have that inner injury and it was really funny or whatever it was, but are they, are they taking that? Is that something that they're taking home with them and, 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 you know, may having an impact on their lives? No, like not at all. Right. It was entertainment and that was it. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of my motivation now is just to be beyond just what I was before. Right. So it's pushing into the future. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I love what you're teaching about this. You've got me thinking about perspective and things that happen to us when we're younger. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me recently, my 18 month old grandson got to meet a, a great Dane, you know, a huge, okay. huge dog. Right. And to us as adults, I mean, Great Danes are big. They come up to, you know, your chest, maybe your hips. But on this, this little boy, this little 18 month old, it came up over his head, you know, like he couldn't even, this was huge. And it was mm -hmm. so scary to him to have this mm -hmm. big animal come up to him. And of course, all the adults are like, oh, it's just a big teddy bear, a big, sweet, you know, dumb dog kind of thing. And this mm -hmm. kid is just like, oh my gosh, it's going to eat me. Right. Yeah. And so ever since then, I've been thinking, what's comparable to that for us? Like that would be like yeah. a big horse or something that's elephant. bigger, an elephant, yes, yeah, something yeah. huge. And we'd be like terrified, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting how things happen to us as kids and we carry that. Yeah. Is he gonna be afraid of dogs forever now because of that big dog that was so big, came yeah. close to him? Yeah. And so it's great to kind of check ourselves. And I like how you were able yeah. to have that check-in on the mm -hmm. Ferris wheel and go, you know oh, what, yeah. it wasn't, in perspective and hindsight and as an adult yeah. and so i love that we can kind of go back to some of those experiences we had as kids go back oh. to that elementary school when things were so big and so scary oh. and my friend see I with adult go, eyes oh. i think about even uh, the impact of words but i was true i'm gonna be real like uh, there was a time in my life where i didn't think i could lead i i my grandmother literally at nine or eight years old i remember exactly where she was standing in the kitchen and she turned around and and you know what, I admit, probably at that age, I might not have been a leader, maybe I was being a bit of a follower following around some kids doing stupid stuff. But when you say to a kid that that is that young, and you look them in the eyes and say, you know what, you're a follower, not a leader, that like impacted me. And it did really hit me in a way that I just didn't believe that I could lead. I just, even when I did jobs, I settled for for jobs where I would I would take the sales role, but I wouldn't take the sales leader role. I wouldn't go into the management role because I was just I was not a leader. You know, I didn't see myself there. So again, there's something that restricted me from really being the true, real version, the best version of myself. So I come back to this over and over again. I'm not a therapist. 
therapist. I'm not an expert, but there sure as heck is at least five letters in that word expert and experience. And so to me, I just kind of go, do I, you know, if I was going to listen to someone that, that inspired me or that I, I want to learn from um, or take advice from, for that matter, um, I want to talk to someone that's actually walked the walk. I want to talk to somebody that I can actually grow around um, because I spent too many years as a thinking I was a follower. And quite frankly, um, and I'm not saying this through ego, I was the smartest person in the room one too many times and not moving rooms. That's not a good thing to do. You got to move rooms to grow. And so, again, it comes back to that environment thing, right? I mean, everybody talks about that. It is the, the sum of the top five people. Well, you know, and, and uh, I'll be honest, in my former career, I had probably 5,000 acquaintances always wanting a piece of me to go, whether it was trying to get in the club or just getting to know me for whatever reason, because I've worked at the largest beach club in North America. I mean, I was rubbing shoulders with all the MTV people. I mean, it was mayhem on another level. And I hit the status that um, so many people never even get to. But at the same time, I, I confused status with worth and thought that that was my, where, where, where my worth was. And it wasn't. Um, so I would rather have, instead of that status and having all those people that were kind of my acquaintances, I'd rather call my, my five, my flat tire five. And they are the people that I could call with a flat tire in the middle of nowhere at three o'clock in the morning. And they would be there even if they were you know, hours away. Right. So it's just really comes down to that, that those true friends. And it's just amazing. Like I said, words and the people that you associate with sometimes how, how important that really is. And um, I just didn't, I just didn't have that kind of awareness. I kind of lived life by a bit of a slot machine to a certain degree. And just, I think a lot of folks do that. When I, uh, when I got out of the dance industry for a little while in my marriage, um, that was the beginning of the degradation of my marriage. Now, a lot of people would think it would maybe be the opposite. It would be hard to, you know, maybe be with a male dancer. I, I was always making her feel amazing and being very creative, which is something that gives me excitement. It gives me a feeling of excitement. So when I lost that creativity and I got out of the industry, I lost that, that feeling of one of my core values. So I changed. So again, not being aware, going on the slot machine, just going, okay, not realizing that these decisions that you make, these mad decisions that are going to compromise your core values can be so impactful. And I've learned to control it. But, you know, if you think that the saboteur doesn't pop up in my head every once in a while, or the inner critic that's turning around and saying, you can't, Corey, or you're just this that inner critic comes and pops up in my head, just like anybody else. I just learned how to put a little bit of a cap on it now. Right. And understand that it is what it is. Life is not always going to be easy, but it's a lot easier when you're aware. And the last thing I'll say on this subject, and I'm just going to say it because it means so much to me. I'm really, I'm really strong right now on men's mental health here in Canada. There's three or four suicides at this moment are men. And there's a reason why. And I think it has a lot to do with the pandemic, but I think it also just has to do with a lot of pressure that men feel. And I think that in not saying that women don't have a lot of pressure, don't get me wrong. They're just different pressures, but I'm just saying that when it comes to men, I think that we, we bottle emotions up a lot of the time. We can't cry. We, we, we're, we're caveman mentality. We're the hunter gatherer. We got to go out there and, you know, if we if we don't gather and we're not hunting, then, we're failing and we got to face our family. And then the, 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 the depression starts to hit and things don't work and things don't go the right way. And so one of the taglines I say at the end of my book, really, or right towards the end of it, when I'm talking to that 30 year old guys is let the damn break before you damn break, like cry it out. If you got to, if you want to, if you feel like it's not man enough for you, go into another room and do it, like get the emotion out because 
I don't know about you, but I can remember like as far back as I mean this, like this is probably the, my furthest back memory that I can even comprehend in my own head, but I can remember having a ten- temper tantrum as a little, little, little kid and crying to the point that I didn't even know why I was even crying anymore. Uh, that kind of a cry, like, you know, where it's just like constant. And then I remember stopping and the relief that I felt, it was just an overwhelming, like pff, relief just came right over me. I can still remember how impactful that was. So there's a reason why we release that. It's important to release that. So you don't, you know, like I said to these guys, you don't have to be Tom Cruise and Top Gun trying to hold back all your emotions to be the man. There's a lot more to being a man than just the hunter-gatherer stuff is what I'm kind of trying to say. So, Wow. Wow. (laughs) So amazing that you've learned this and can teach this now. Yeah, it's cool. Wow. If we were jokingly, I say my life, if you were to paint it into three movies, it would be Forrest Gump, Magic Mike, and Joe Dirt. I get a good laugh out of it every time I think about it because it's all about the whole, whole heartbreak with relationships and yeah. just being an entertainer in some way, shape, or form. Um, but taking the time to, to understand why my partner did what she did and not actually point blame at her and sit there and say it was all her fault. Cause I did that for a lot of years and I could never, and I was, guys tend to be Mr. Fix it. We tried our best to fix it all ourselves. And if I had have actually taken that time to kind of go, cause I'll be real. Uh, I was faithful. I was monogamous to my ex-wife through my entire career. I didn't have one break in my entire marriage, like not one. Uh, in the end, she was unfortunately the one that ended up straying, but, but I don't look down on her. Like I used to, but I don't look down on her because to be honest, I forced her into it in a lot of ways. And so was, uh, I, I take at least, at the very least, 50% accountability for what happened. And by doing that, it was probably the most liberating thing I've ever done in my life. And my ex-wife now is liberated from the guilt and the pain that she suffered from that. And I want her to have a good life. I was married to this woman for eight years almost. It's not like I want her to suffer in pain. So by doing that, that was such a big layer. It was one of those big layers that I took off and it liberated me as a human being and made me feel so much better. So if I can ever give any advice to, to that guy that's out there that's, that's struggling and saying, oh, you know, I feel so damaged by these things that have happened to me. Forgiveness is not for you or for the other person. It's for you. Forgive it. Be aware of it. Understand why it happened and understand that it's not all their fault. As much as you want to think it's their fault, it's probably not all their fault. And I'm not saying every situation, but probably the vast majority, there's an accountability on both sides. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm always the one I share. When you're pointing a finger at someone, there are three fingers pointing back at you. (laughs) And so there's always something to look at yourself of how you might've contributed to something. I know we can't control other people's behavior. They can do what they do. But yep. there is something that we can be accountable for as well. And I think we need to not point all the fingers at someone else. We need to own it ourselves, whatever oh, our part is. So amen to I'm that. You know, write that up. I'll it's say hard. It. It's painful. It it's is. not fun. It's easier just to point them all at that person and say, you're the victim. So that's way easier to say that you're the it victim. It is easier. It's almost like that time when you're, when you're wanting to punch somebody. You feel like it's easier to punch somebody, but it's not going to give you the best end result. <laughs> right. So it's kind of right. like, sometimes it's almost kind of like better to just say like, because when I admitted to my ex-wife that I controlled her, like she just went, who am I talking to right, right. now? Like, are you kidding right. me? 
But when I actually was able to communicate with her and, and take that thumb instead of the finger and say, hey, you know, I get it now. Like, I understand and, and I want you to understand where I'm at. Stop apologizing to me and let's move on with our lives. Like, because I'm aware of where, what my part was in this now, too. She found her own true authenticity herself through that conversation, too, and was released from it. And that energy is not being wasted in a negative way. And, and so, like, what? what point is it to hold on to those types of grudges yes it hurt at the time but it's not serving me in any way to hold that right, right? it's so, hurting you worse to keep hanging on to it so it's nice to yeah. have that freedom of not having that pain of that not forgiving anymore i love that That's yeah said. so thank so, you so important but thank you That's i awesome. really have appreciated this episode all the way around it's been a great conversation and the way that i feel about this whole thing about training other people with this is really simple you know if somebody's willing to be vulnerable enough and open up about their all their faults, all their imperfections, like, and I mean everything, all the skeletons and all the rest of it, if they're willing to do that, I'm showing you mine, show me yours. It's all confidential, but I'll show you mine. Reflect on my stuff. Like, I've been in the ditch. It's good yeah. to get those things out because if you don't... It man, just eats you up inside. Yeah, yeah. life's tough. No, yeah. I'm so glad you said that, that you're a safe space and that people can talk to you and no judgment yeah. and you're oh, going to no. be like, yeah, I, I understand me too. And I get it. And I love yeah. that you're doing that for others. So thank you for yeah. sharing what you've been through, being so open and honest yeah. about it and welcoming other people into your circle to be able to help them too. That's awesome. Yeah. You got to take it off. Yeah. So you got to take it off, you know, there you go. Sure. And, and we're all, we're very vulnerable, but that's the way you can really learn and grow and improve. So it's yeah. great advice. Thank yeah, you. For sure. You're still here. Well then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. You were saying about regrets. Yeah. There's, everybody has regrets. Right. Everybody has regrets. I don't. I, I don't regret my dance career, but yeah, I, I have or what regrets. you would change, you know, maybe I'd you know, like you said, things. everybody has regrets. And would you yeah. do anything different? You know, I would. There's a few things I would do different. I think that I took some some relationships for granted at times, um, especially now sitting here in in my my nice place here in Kelowna, British Columbia, as a single guy with his dog and his cat. You know. I look back and go, wow, you know, what I would give to, you know, had that relationship that I had with this particular person work out if I had worked a little bit harder on me, how that would have been different if I had taken that time to address my inner self and not be so concentrated on the exterior and thinking that I was so perfect that I was going to be able to get away with that and taking people for granted. Like, you know, I just do my best to control what I can control. Yeah, you can't control you someone else. Yeah. Of course. So why you waste the energy trying you. to, yeah, I can't yeah. waste my energy trying to change somebody or make them squeeze right. that square through the circle. It's not going to work. Right. So that's exactly it. Yeah. That's I'd great. rather help out people in the future. Not be talking about my past. It's not really that big of a deal. Oh, that's so perfect. And take grow and learn from what you did in the past to help your future and help other future. Sure. That's the best. I love that. 100%.